residing deep within Happy Valley in central Pennsylvania. Here is your host, Michael Lanny. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of the Hunger for Hannibal podcast. I hope everyone's been doing well in between episodes. Um, I posted my my first episode, the recap of the first episode of Hannibal, and I got some very nice comments for some people online, and thank you very much, by the way. But I was also told that I need to work on my waffling skills, and that's what I'm going to try to do for you today. I don't know whether it's going to be good at all, but I'm going to hopefully get an A for effort, if nothing else. Hopefully. Okay, so anyway, I guess I'll tell you a little bit more about my life, who I am, uh, what's going on in my life at the moment, and uh, go from there. Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm married. We uh, have a cat. We have no kids. And our cat is named Nona. Now, she's a, a Maine Coon. And I don't know if you know what a Maine Coon is. Um, they have uh, long hair. They are excellent mousers. And uh, Nona is about eight and a half pounds. So she's very svelte, very uh, very pretty. She's a, a tortoise shell, which means she has a lot of different colors in her fur. Uh, right now we're watching my parents' cat. Uh, he's also a Maine Coon. But since he's a male, males get bigger than the females and he weighs almost 20 pounds which to be honest is uh, a little a little big um they get bigger but they they shouldn't probably get as big as that uh, i think my mom gives them way too many treats yeah so my parents are on vacation right now which is why we have them uh they're gonna be gone for a little while we've watched them before and that's what we're doing now in pennsylvania it is bitterly cold uh, we've had some really, really cold days. I'm, I'm talking well into the negatives, which is uh, unusual even for here, even for this place. And uh, we just had a pretty severe uh, snowstorm hit the area, uh, making travel dangerous, if not outright, outright possible. It's been difficult to get around for for the last few days. Which, oddly enough, I, I actually work for a weather company, so, you know, it's, at least I'm well informed, if nothing else, I guess. Uh, I'm not currently recording from uh, any kind of mobile studio, as much as some people will probably enjoy that, maybe. I'm actually recording in uh, my, our apartment at the moment. There's a room that I have, it's kind of dedicated to all things computer and technology related and uh, this is where I do all my recording, all my podcasting, which can be difficult at times because uh, with two cats, they like to come inside with me. Uh, they'll scratch at the door and, and you know complain because there's a door closed and they can't get in. Anyway, there's a, <laughs> there's a little about me. Again, don't know how well I did waffling-wise. Uh, certainly can't approach Gareth's uh, greatness of waffling. It's really an art form. I don't think he knows quite how amazing his waffling is. But, gave it a shot. 
So there it is. Hopefully, if I didn't do well, I'll just continue to improve as time goes by. Okay, so I'm going to jump into the recap here in a, in a minute. But uh, before I do that, I'm just going to throw a little bit of general information out there about the episode. The episode is episode two of season one, titled Amuse Bush. It is written by Jim Danger Gray and directed by Michael Raymer. Original air date, April 11th, 2013. Alright, so enough of that, and let's jump into the review and recap now. Instead of jumping months ahead of the pilot's events, the show opens in what appears to be just a week or so since the end of the pilot, with Will and Jack visiting the cabin owned by Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Inside, they stumble upon rooms filled with dead and decaying animals and deer antlers. Jack tells Willie believes that Abigail helped her father kill the girls, partly because she spent a lot of time in this cabin with her father. Will doesn't believe it, but you get the sense that he might be ignoring the possibility simply because he doesn't want it to be true. While upstairs searching for clues, they find a hair that doesn't match the hair of Abigail Hobbs. From there, we transition to an apartment where we meet the infamous Freddie Lowndes. Now, for anyone who has not read the books, Lowndes was a male, but here Brian Fuller and the writers have decided to change him into a female. Lowndes is uploading pictures which she obviously took illegally while also contaminating the crime scene with her fallen hair. Now, I know there are people who probably hate that Freddie Lowndes is a woman, but I personally had no problem with it. The actress who plays her does a great job at showing the good qualities, she's a survivor, and the bad ones, the means justify the ends. Basically there is a ruthlessness to her that helps her survive but it also shows that she'll do whatever she needs for a story. Even in the early scenes we see her overall sliminess. Meanwhile back at the academy, Will is lecturing the students on his killing of Hobbes. They applaud him, and it's obvious that he hates both the attention and the fact that they are plotting something that is causing him distress. And it's understandable why. Before killing Hobbes, Will simply adopted the mindset of the killer, but now he's killed someone. Regardless of the reasons why and the effect it's having on him is riddling him with guilt. It's obvious that the shooting has had an effect on Will, but Jack needs him in the field, so he orders a psyche valve, which is immediately rubber-stamped with approval from Lecter. But rather than gloss over this one detail, I'd like you to hear the dialogue from the scene. What's that? Your psychological evaluation. You're totally functional and more or less sane. Well done. Did you just rubber stamp me? Yes. Jack Crawford may lays. Weary head to rest knowing he didn't break you, and our conversation can proceed unobstructed by paperwork. Jack thinks I need therapy. What you need is a way out of dark places when Jack sends you there. Last time he sent me into a dark place, I brought something back. A surrogate daughter? You saved Abigail Hobbs' life, you also orphaned her. It comes with certain emotional obligations, regardless of empathy disorders. Well, you were there, you saved her life too. Do you feel obligated? Yes. I feel a staggering amount of obligation. 
I felt responsibility. I fantasized about scenarios where my actions may have allowed a different fate for Abigail Hobbs. Jack thinks Abigail Hobbs helped her dad kill those girls. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel? I find it vulgar. Me too. And entirely possible. It's not what happened. Jack will ask him when she wakes up. Oh, he'll have one of us ask her. Is this therapy or a, a support group? It's whatever you need it to be. And well, the mirrors in your mind can reflect the best of yourself, not the worst of someone else. You're listening to the Hungry for Hannibal podcast. Lecter here is about as smooth and as slippery as any snake you're likely to meet. He plants the idea in Will's head that Jack is pushing him into dangerous waters, regardless of what it does to him, and the therapy for Will is his way of sleeping better at night. Already we can see the subtle manipulation beginning to work its way into Will's mind. This is important. It's an important conversation, and this thread will come up later in the episode. I'd like Lecter's line about fantasizing a different fate for Abigail. Could the fantasy possibly be her dying instead of living through the ordeal she's now in? Maybe. And finally, you can see the pressure that Abigail's fate has had on Will. He saved her, and at the same time, he's orphaned her. As Lecter said, it's given him certain res responsibilities and obligations. I think it's only added to his struggle to deal with what Hobbes' death has brought out in him. It turns out that Lecter's psyche vow approval isn't a moment too soon because there's another case. Some boys stumble upon what turns out to be a neat row of shallow graves, with hands sticking out of what is essentially a garden of mushrooms. It's being fed by nine victims buried beneath a fairly thin layer of nutrient-rich compost. Using a rudimentary apparatus for breathing, it seems that the victims were fed something to keep them alive, but they were unable to wake up and leave their soft prison. Freddie Lowndes makes an appearance here, posing as a concerned mother. She takes some pictures discreetly while asking questions to one of the officers. You can tell she's curious about Will, and watches as he does what he does best, enter the mind of a killer. You can tell the gears in her mind are already moving towards another sensational story she can use for her blog. This scene really made an impression on me. Pilots can often be really good script-wise and visually because they normally employ a film director to, you know, give the pilot the best shot to be picked up by giving it a unique look and feel. Knowing Fuller's past work, I was reasonably confident that it would continue after the pilot episode and we would see good episodes afterwards. But this was the point where I think I felt relieved it also marked the halfway point of the episode, almost at least, and the same quality of the writing, acting, and color palette, the imaginative scenes, they were all still present. And to be honest, I don't think I've questioned whether this show is going to be great ever since. The scene with the mushroom garden was twisted, it was inventive, it was easily one of my favorite scenes that I've seen of the, of the, the series so far. We move on to the next scene with a conversation between Will and Lecter. You can listen to it, and then I'll comment. This may have been premature. What did you see? Out in the field? Hobbs. An association? No, a 
hallucination. I saw him lying there in someone else's grave. Did you tell Jack what you saw? No. It's stress. Not worth reporting. You displaced the victim of another killer's crime with what could arguably be considered your victim. I don't consider Hobbs my victim. What do you consider him? Dead. Is it harder imagining the thrill somebody else feels killing, now that you've done it yourself? The arms. Why did he leave them exposed? To hold their hands? To feel the life leaving their bodies? Yeah, no, it's too esoteric for someone who took the time to bury his victims in a straight line. He's more practical. He was cultivating them. He was keeping them alive. He was feeding them intravenously. But your farmer let his crops die, yeah. safe for the one that didn't. Well, and the one that didn't died on the way to the hospital. No, they weren't crops. They were the fertilizer. The bodies were covered in fungus. The structure of a fungus mirrors that of the human brain, an intricate web of connections. Maybe he admires their ability to connect the way human minds can't. Yours can. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, not physically. Is that what your farmer is looking for? Some sort of connection? Looking to contribute to the podcast? Send an MP3 file or email to hungryforhannibal at gmail.com. So the scene finally pushes us forward into figuring out how Hobbs' death at Will's hands has affected him. He's now admitted that it's harder to imagine the thrill of killing another person now that he's done it himself. We also get to see that despite all the manipulation, there's obviously a connection between him and Lecter. We see them working out why the killer is planting the bodies and using them to feed the mushrooms. Now I'm sure that Will would have worked this out eventually, but in Hannibal he's found someone he can bounce ideas off of, and not feel like, you know, the person he's talking to doesn't understand him, or that they'll be brushed aside as, you know, being stupid or, uh, you know, just off the main track. The idea that the killer is seeking connection is intelligent twisted, and I think deeper than most TV shows aim to be. Again, this conversation provides a second thread, which twists with the first, and will lead to something later down the line in the episode. Freddie Lowndes is outside Hannibal's office, listening, and recording their conversation, awkwardly posing as someone seeking therapy. The problem is that Hannibal is far more intelligent, and immediately recognizes her, he makes her delete the conversation between both he and Will. And we know that Hannibal doesn't like rudeness, and the way the scene ends leaves it fairly ambiguous as to her fate. After a scene between Hannibal and Jack where we cringe yet again as Jack eats something which is probably human flesh without knowing it, we finally find out why the mushroom garden victims were unable to wake up. Turns out they were diabetics, and the killer was force-feeding them sugar water, and in doing so, putting them in a comatose state. Will theorizes that the killer is probably a doctor or pharmacist, who would be able to have direct access to the patient and their medication. We finally meet the killer, E. Stamets. Well, that's what appears on his name tag. Will was right. 
He's a pharmacist who tags his next victim, a woman who comes in to get her insulin. He gives her what appears to be a high dosage version and then collects her address, which he's of course then able to use to uh, apprehend her. Jack and Will, plus a team, move in after some deductive work to take Stamets, only to find that he's just left. But his car is still in the parking lot. Inside, they find the blonde woman from earlier in the scene covered in dirt, comatose, and with a respirator. Shortly right after this, we learn that Freddy has a story on her site dedicated to Will as a psychopath hunting other psychopaths. Jack moves in and confronts her at the hotel and threatens her. It's then that we realize that one of the male lab techs gave her inside information, and again she shows just how slimy her methods can be. After that, we see Freddy talking to a detective that she was talking to near the mushroom garden earlier in the episode. Turns out that she inferred that he got she got information from him, and it's led him to be suspended. Suddenly, Eldon Stamets, which turns out to be what E stands for, comes up and shoots the detective and kills him. Jack and the team show up, and Freddy tells Jack that Stamets is going to help Will connect with Abigail by burying her. Why? Because it turns out that Freddy told him everything. Everything she knew about Will and his relationship to Abigail. It ceases to amaze me how little responsibility Freddy takes in her actions. She nearly gets caught fired, admits it, admits that it's not the first time it's happened, and she doesn't really care. Now he's dead. She's nearly as creepy as Stamets in some ways, if you think about it. Maybe not as crazy, but in a way, worse. Anyway, so Jack calls Will and tells him that Stamets is going to take Abigail. Will tracks them down and shoots Stamets, but not fatally. He then gives a batshit crazy answer as to why he does what he does, and maybe even the crazier thing is that in some weird, twisted way, it actually makes sense. We come to the third and final scene I want you to listen to today because it's between, again, Will and Lecter. Then I'll give my thoughts. When you shot Eldon Stamets, who was it that you saw? I didn't see Hobbs. Then it's not Hobbs' ghost that's haunting you, is it? It's the inevitability of there being a man so bad that killing him felt good. Killing Hobbs felt just. Which is why you're here. To prove that sprig of zest you feel is from saving Abigail, not from killing her dad. I didn't feel a sprig of zest when I shot Eldon Stamets. You didn't kill Elton Stamets. I thought about it. I'm still not entirely sure that wasn't my intention, pulling the trigger. If your intention was to kill him, it's because you understand why he did the things he did. It's beautiful in its own way. Giving voice to the unmentionable. Stuck to fixing boat motors in Louisiana. A boat engine is a machine, a predictable problem. Easy to solve. You fail, there's a paddle. Where was your paddle with Hobbs? You're supposed to be my paddle. I am. It wasn't the act of killing Hobbs that got you down, was it? Did you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? I like killing Hobbs. 
killing must feel good to God, too. He does it all the time. And are we not created in his image? It depends who you ask. God's terrific. He dropped the church roof on 34 of his worshipers last Wednesday night in Texas while they sang a hymn. Did God feel good about that? He felt powerful. And here it is. The first two scenes I had you listen to moved us further towards Lecter asking the question and Will providing a truthful answer. The fact is, he liked killing Hobbes. It made him feel powerful. And that fact scares the shit out of him. I love how they later scenes in this episode and in the pilot. Like a puzzle, one might not mean much, but combined with a few others, gives us a picture that means something more and is more important. So what did I think about this episode? Well, I think it's a continuation of a great young series. Like the pilot, each scene had a purpose. There is intelligent dialogue, death plotting, deep psychological exploration, and high-caliber acting across the board. My only complaint here is that Will shot another killer this week. I thought that maybe it might be too much of a coincidence, but since he didn't kill Stamets, it's just a minor complaint in an otherwise amazing episode. Hannibal continues to be kept slightly on the back burner, while Will is center stage, but I'm not worried about that. I doubt he will be there forever, and anybody that has read the Hannibal books or knows anything about Hannibal knows that, yeah, he won't be there forever. I liked that they had a killer who was seeking a connection because it really helped to illuminate Will even more. Will is a person that can't connect with other people, at least not very well, and definitely not, it's not easy for him to do. I liked how they kind of tied that to Will without really coming out and saying it. And another thing that I really enjoyed was something else that at least I saw. I saw some things in the scenes between Hannibal and Will that I feel like will come to play, at least I'm hoping. And that's that as hard as it is for Will to connect with other people, for some reason, Hannibal already is as much a friend to Will as he has maybe he's ever had. Will and Hannibal have this relationship where, despite the fact that he's a patient and Hannibal is essentially his therapist, they can talk to each other and admit things to each other that other people can't. It's not just that there's a confidentiality between Hannibal and Will that can't be broken, but I think that Hannibal sees Will as someone who is intelligent who is fascinating and is as close to him as there is. And there's a situation now where they're together and they can actually have some form of a relationship, uh, shared ideas, shared thoughts, shared feelings. Because you get the sense that for the most part, Hannibal is probably bored to tears with just about every patient he has. So for him, Will is top of the mountain, I think. And I just think I get that, that subtext from from the killer with Stamets. You know, Stamets seek connection or seek to connect other people somehow. But I got the sense that while he was seeking this connection, so is Will and so is Hannibal. And with Will and Hannibal, they've kind of found 
a bit of a connection there between each other. So that's just my thoughts on that. It, I could be completely wrong, but that's just what I got out of it. So uh, anyway, I thought this was a fantastic episode, and I'm really excited to to look further down the road to the next episode, and hopefully we'll see another fantastic, another amazing episode, which will again move us further down the story between Hannibal and Will and give us some great moments to talk about. So that's my recap, my review for this episode, episode two of Hannibal season one, Amuse Bush. Okay, so that's the end of the recap and review portion of the podcast. So uh, in lieu of the final word segment from last week, I'm going to insert uh, a new segment just for this week. It's actually a special announcement uh, for the podcast. So uh, stay in tuned, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Stay in touch with Michael between episodes by going to the podcast Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Hungry for Hannibal, or catch him on Twitter at Hungry for Hannibal. That's at Hungry, the number four, Hannibal. Okay, so this is the special announcement portion of the podcast. So the special announcement that I'm making is that there's going to be a season preview podcast in a couple of weeks. Well, I want to try and get it out Definitely. Well, it's going to be out between the the 21st and hopefully the 25th to give people enough time to download it, listen to it before the uh, second season starts on the 28th, I believe. So I'm looking for any questions that you would want to pose to me and uh, the group of guest hosts that I'm assembling right now to uh, assist me in talking about Hannibal for an hour or two. If you have any theories, any ideas, do you have any complaints? Are you worried about the direction that they might go uh, for the for the show? Um, anything at all. Um, whatever it is, if it's related at all to Hannibal, you know, I would love to hear what you have to say. So, you know, sending that stuff in, you know, ahead of time, uh, certainly is what I would need just to give me enough time to assemble the questions, the comments, the theories, whatever, so that, you know, during the preview, uh, season preview podcast, I can, you know, toss these questions out to my guest hosts and then they'll be able to, uh, you know, we'll all be able to give you our opinion or answer your question or, you know, show, you know, give us, we'll be able to give our view um, to whatever content you happen to uh, send in. So that's the special announcement that I'm making, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll be able to uh, contribute, and I'll be able to give you an excellent, you know, season preview podcast here in a, in a couple of weeks. So uh, that's it for the podcast this week. Until next time, I hope you'll continue to be hungry for more Hannibal. Bye.